Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new criminal case. On January 16, 1964, in San Francisco del Rincon, southern Mexico, a group of villagers thonged and demanded death at the gates of the La Loma del Angel Ranch. patrols tried their best to clear the passage and disperse the angry crowd. But in vain, everyone wanted to see the wizards, the witches, the murderers coming out of their lair. Everyone was ready to lynch them on the spot if necessary. And finally they were coming out. Four black whale silhouettes escorted by the patrol. Four tiny women that the police forcefully pushed in front of them. The two older ones had their heads bowed and squeezed their way through the dust without looking up while the other two younger ones cursed the villagers by making obscene gestures with their hands. They were the Gonzales Venezuela sisters, Delfina, Maria del Carmen, Maria Luisa, and Maria de Jesus, brothel keepers of their state, but not limited to just that. Their horror trade began in the early 1950s. Greedy and unscrupulous women obsessed with money. They are credited with more than 100 homicides, infanticides, clandestine abortions, tortures, rapes, kidnappings, performance of satanic rituals, and organized thefts. From this sort of trafficking, the Gonzales Valenzuela sisters managed to pile up several thousand pesos. They had support from the complexity of crooked and corrupt police officers, who took advantage of the tormented circumstances and also profited from their sinister trade. After this astounding and unexpected arrest in 1964, the whole country discovered through the articles published in the newspaper under the heading Various Facts, the sordid and frightening course of those whose popular memory will be remembered as being the Panquianches, the gloomy Mexico of those times, which was barely out of the revolution, was dominated by the Catholic faith, poverty and superstitions, women only played a second-rate role. On a lonely, arid and breezy day, the rapid footstep of three tattered young girls echoed along the road. They were running breathlessly, throat dry, holding their hands as if to encourage themselves to move forward. Even the slightest halt to catch their breath could be fatal. Despite the darkness that obscured everything in their way, the threatening barks of stray dogs and the prancing shadows of towering cacti, they didn't stop, nor until they were out of danger. Their goal was to reach Guanajuato, the nearest city, before the first light of the day. Everyone should know about the hell they just got out of. Everyone should be aware that where they came from, death lurked around every corner. 
but for now, no hasty victory yet. They were still only trying to flee. Who knew if their bosses had already noticed their absence and sent men after them? And if they were caught, no, they didn't even prefer to think about the rest because they were aware of what was done with the runaways who tried to escape. At the thought alone, the three girls felt their strength give away and fear not at their stomachs, but it was out of the question to go back. Not now when they are so close to their mark. Each step along the powdery and dust road brought them closer to their destination. Guanajuato resonated like music in their ears. It was their only escape route. They had organized their escape plan for a long time, had studied, dissected, and evaluated all possible and imaginable scenarios in the event of failure. Like many inmates, they often wanted to give up, as they no longer had the physical or mental strength to think it through. They reached their breaking point when poor Adela was forced to kill her own sister on the orders from the boss, a scene that they were all forced to see until the end. In a shadow of ruthless voyeurism, in order to instill fear of what would await them in the event of a rebellion, it was unbearable, much more audacious than their worst nightmares. They knew that sooner or later, it would be their turn and the unthinkable idea struck. The survival instinct took over. The terrible urge to gallop and flee returned. It was haunting their daily lives, turning into an obsession with every minute. The least expected that their jailer in charge of their surveillance that evening was too drunk and did not see them pass under his nose. In the end, it was much easier and faster than they had thought it would be. They were the Soledad sisters, Maria del Pilar and their friends in bad times, Catalina Ortega. On the evening of January 12, 1964, they hastily left the brothel of La Loma del Angel, where they had been imprisoned for almost three years under the penitentiary of the female siblings, Gonzalez Valenzuela, better known in the region as Paquianches. Looking more dead than alive, dressed in rags, their hair ridden under thick woolen scarves, Soledad, Maria, and Catalina Ortega were down to having only skin on their bones looking more like skeletons than dapper teenage girls of 15, 13, and 17 years. Early in the morning, they arrived in the main square of Guanajuato to the sound of the Angeles, when the small town was still barely awake. Without wasting a moment, the three girls started looking for an address, that of a certain Madame Esperanza Santana. Mrs. Santana lived in utter destitution. She sold tortillas in the market and shared community accommodation with other families at the Emma Concepcion Pension. When the three fugitives knocked on her door, she hurriedly accepted them into her accommodation and double-locked the door behind them. Before her were three emaciated faces haunted by beasts, like figures of old women in the bodies of little girls, completely terrified and trembling from their ordeal. The address of this accommodation was provided to them by her daughter, Eliza Aguilar. After the separation of her parents, Eliza was entrusted by her father, Oswaldo Aguilar, to the Pacuanches against a small payment in money. The Gonzalez Valenzuela sisters at first refused them with disdain. Too young will cost a lot of food and will be of no use. But Oswaldo Aguilar, who had mounting gambling debts, was determined to have the money right away. He stood up to them. She is a very smart little girl. You'll see for yourself. She will help you with the housework. She knows how to do everything. It has been one year since 12-year-old Eliza's rather questionable disappearance. No one knew or had dared to ask about her. 
Feeling safe at Esperanza Santana's place, the three girls recounted their hasty flight, the horrific conditions in the Loma del Angel brothel, and the horror that unfolded every day. They recalled the drunk and lustful old clients they were forced to sleep with, the various abuses, the constant feeding of hunger, the kicks and lashes, the slaps, the bites, and then the murder. That terrible murder of Ernestina, a prostitute who was brutally murdered by her older sister, Adela, on the orders of their bosses and jailers who witnessed the killing, laughing out aloud as blood spurted out everywhere. Unable to hear more, Esperanza Santana gave the girls something to eat before taking them to Leon Guanajuato Police Station to report the story they just told her. On seeing the poor merchant wrapped in shawls with three girls in rags enter their premises, the police assumed that they were a gang of petty thieves, as there were dozens in the area, but quickly they understood that it was much more serious. On Esperanza's order, the three girls showed their arms, legs to the law enforcement officers. The police were appalled to see multiple traces of bites, cigarette burns, skin infections due to the malnutrition, other scars on their face, and recently inflicted bruises. Catalina Ortega had already lost all her lower teeth and suffered from premature baldness from a ringworm infestation that had affected her black hair and was left untreated. At the very first examination, the police were horrified by what they had just discovered. The next day, following their testimony, the three girls were finally taken to a doctor for a thorough examination. While the two police patrol vans left for San Francisco del Rincon, the sordid story of these poor little girls still resonate loud and clear in their ears. The ranch of La Loma del Angel was an enormous building surrounded by barbed wires, solely dominating a barren land and so desolate that even vegetation is scarce. Dogs barking could be heard from all sides. The place looked abandoned. The police jumped out of the van and knocked on the gate. They waited for long. Finally, a young man with an intimidating build, wearing a Texan hat, opened the gates for them. Seeing the uniforms, he quickly made the connection with the three fugitives missing since the day before yesterday, for whom he and the others have been looking for everywhere. They denounced them. The police got ahead of him and barged into the large dirt courtyard with a well in the center, covered with a tarp. Alerted by the sound of footsteps, the owner of the place immediately showed up and didn't take long to introduce herself. Dressed in black from head to toe, she looked outraged and surprised. Come on, sergeant, can't you see that we are in mourning? Engaging single women this way without announcing yourself is not in your habits. We have a warrant for your arrest and we are going to surround the area. Quickly the tone changed. The women began to swear at the militia who handcuffed her. While the police scattered around the house, armed with their guns, they progressed through the courtyard of the property. They noticed a padlocked door. They forced her to unlock it. And there, it is hard to see anything as there was complete darkness, but they could hear moans of pain and muffled sobs. Deep within, they noticed human forms forming an opaque mound. A strong, foul smell of blood and feces made the police gag. The skeletal bodies gathered together to hide their modesty, some of whom were completely naked. The police flashed their lights to find several young women, little girls and even newborns. The police officers were taken aback by the frightened and terrorized gaze like that of animals that had been hunted down and abused for long. The girls stiffened when the police tried to touch them. 
it's now over, you are safe. After several attempts and a lot of persuasion, they managed to calm them down, then brought them out two by two from this filthy hole which constituted their habitat. In the light of the day, the bizarre and frightening spectacle of the recluses was all the more horrifying. Many were injured, burned, with visible signs of malnutrition and dehydration. Some had lost their hair and teeth. Many were crying. Some were uttering cries of distress. Some laughing on realizing they were finally freed. In all, there were about 20 women and 10 girls. The villagers of San Francisco del Rincon, who heard the arrival of the police, had already gathered in the front of the ranch, La Loma, waiting to find out what happened next. Rumors had been circulating for a long time about it, but no one had yet unraveled its secrets. The doors remained hermetically closed, day and night, with absolute no activities around the place, except certain evenings when music, laughter, and cries filled the ambient atmosphere. Apart from the Gonzales, Valenzuela sisters, 13 other women, and 11 men were arrested in their capacity as pimps, beaters, helpers, jailers, abortionists, midwives, and torturers. The day had not yet come to an end, as the news of their arrest was on everyone's lips. The journalist of a small tabloid column called Alarma arrived in the evening, well aware of having something to keep their readers in suspense for a whole month. Armed with their cameras, they immortalized the faces of the Gonzales Venezuela sisters in the care of a militia men awaiting to transfer to the Guanajuato police station. The locals of San Francisco del Rincon didn't yet know it, but the spectacular and unexpected arrest of the Pacuanches and their aides had just ended a nearly two-decade-long terror in the Jalisco region. Now faced with justice, they had to confess the many atrocious and abominable crimes they were accused of. Behind their black whales with their rosary, the four sisters, Delfina, Maria Luisa, Maria del Carmen, and Maria del Jesus, tried to defend themselves tooth and nail, claiming them to be completely innocent and proclaiming themselves as partisans of morality and virtue. They prided themselves as having not only protected the lost and banished girls, but also accepted and nurtured them out of Christian charity. The police officers in charge of questioning them did not believe a word. The testimony given by Soledad, Maria del Pilar, and Catalina Ortega, their former prisoners, could send shivers down your spine and had enough charges and evidence to have them heavily convicted in the court. During the course of the investigation, which continued for the next few days, the police found themselves behind the scenes of the sordid prostitution circuit of the Gonzales Valenzuela sisters. Being a very profitable business, it had allowed them, over the years, to amass a large loan nest of thousands of pesos at the cost of their unfortunate victims. As the police probed further into the case, surprising revelations kept coming up. Apart from the ranch of La Loma del Angel, the epicenter of their activity, the four sisters also owned brothels in Lagos de Moreno, Curetaro, Colima, Guanajuato, Tamaulipas, Veracruz, San Luis Potosí, and Coila. In short, almost across all the rural communities in the Jalisco region, they had forged a solid reputation as formidable businesswomen who stopped at nothing to gain more profits. Their former touts and henchmen, Francisco Camarena Garcia and his cousin and right-hand man, Enrique Rodriguez Ramirez, testified against their bosses and narrated their own version of events. As a result, the entire Guanajuato militia was mobilized to continue the search for the other accomplices who were on the run. 
A few days later, Tehran word reached the judicial police section in Mexico City. They too deployed their officers to help with the investigation. The case then took a national turn. A dozen other individuals hired by Pacquiao's network and suspected of having participated from near or far in the crimes and other abductions and violence on the inmates were also arrested and taken to prison. Trapped by their employees and fellow criminals, the four merciless women ended up confessing everything. For the first time, in the front of Sergeant Abel Calderon's typewriter. A long story of several hours. The story dates back to the beginning of the 30s, at a place called Jalisco in the post-Zapata, Mexico. A new president, Lazaro Cardenas, had just been elected. And there were stocks already of the new reforms that he planned to establish soon throughout the national territory which had been plagued for more than a century by incessant civil wars and other internal conflicts between enemy villages. The Catholic Church, on the other hand, directed all aspects of domestic life in every Mexican home. Each family lived to the rhythm of masses, novenas, weddings, baptisms, communions, commemorations, and other religious celebrations. For the poor, rural, and illiterate population, faith remained the only escape from an often bitter daily life. Christianity and old Amerindian superstitions also coexisted in perfect osmosis, and everything that could not be explained in a concrete way obviously found an answer in the field of paranormal beliefs, which most Mexicans are very fond of. It was these sociocultural times that Maria del Carmen, Delfina, Maria Luisa, and Maria de Jesus were born in a small village of Jalisco, in the south of the country. Their parents were Isidro Torres Gonzalez, a guard in the municipal prison, and Barnada Nardina Valenzuela, a housewife. Their childhood was clouded with violence. Isidro was an alcoholic, violent, and temperamental man who imposed a permanent reclusion on his daughters at home to do only domestic work. Their only outings were to the weekly market and to Sunday church. Bernada, the mother, was a devout Catholic, whose piety came close to the exaggerated mysticism. During the Feast of the Dead, El Dia de Moreros, she often lacerated her body to the point of bleeding as a sign of penitence or dragged herself on knees to the church to atone for all her sins. Real and imaginary, Isidro, as the man in charge of the small local prison, ruled as a tyrant over his all-female family. A possessive and openly macho man, he imposed rigid authority on them, to which all must obey, failing which they would have to endure pain of physical abuse or for rare violence. Isidro was never easy on them. Moreover, the four sisters were frequently beaten by him, without anyone daring to intervene, not even their mother, who feared him as much as they did. As a teenager, the eldest daughter, Maria del Carmen, began to show clear signs of rebellion against her father's authority. One night, while her father was in his usual tavern getting drunk with his friends, she took advantage of the situation to run away with Luis Queso a grocer, 20 years her senior, whom she met at a baptism and with whom she had fallen in love. But the escapade was doomed to fail and Carmen was found by Isidro who, after having beaten her, placed her in detention in the municipal jail for a period of 14 months in order to take away any desire to do it again in the future. During her incarceration, he showed her no mercy, no favors, and even prevented her mother and sisters from visiting her to bring her food or change of clothes. Maria del Carmen was eventually released after 10 months of imprisonment and since she could no longer live under the same roof as her father, she went to work as a laborer in a small textile factory in San Luis Potosi, 
300 kilometers from Jalisco. The work in the factory was hard and poorly paid, but for her, going home was out of the question. The young Maria del Carmen took advantage of this new independence and soon met a man who was already married. From this clandestine affair, a son was born, whom she named Luis, in memory of her first fiancé. The romance did not last and the man ended up leaving her to return to his legitimate wife. Without resources, Carmen threw herself on another boy. But this new relationship was a fiasco. She worked and took care of her son, while her companion spent his day getting drunk in the seedy taverns of the village. Moreover, he took all the money she had brought home under the pretext that a woman was unable to manage her expenses alone. The couple ended up separating after two years of disastrous and dysfunctional life together. Things were not any better for her family, who remained in Jalisco. During a brawl in the bar, her father, Isidro, killed a small delinquent man named Felix Ornelas. Fearing that he would be brought to justice, he deserted his family in total destitution. On the same night, he disappeared for years without ever giving any news. The three other daughters were sent to work as laborers by their mother. Their three salaries together barely allowed the family to survive. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. In 1935, the family lived in great poverty, and Maria del Carmen, hearing of her father's sudden departure through her sisters, returned home to help her family financially. In 1938, she met a new lover, Jesus Vargas, named El Gato, because of his blonde hair and yellow cat-like eyes. Jesus, much younger than Maria del Carmen, was a cunning pretty criminal who, like his predecessors, was only interested in robbing her of whatever little she had. Together, they managed to open a modest canteen with a small amount of money saved by Carmen when she was still working at the textile factory. But Jesus Vargas turned out to be worthless and irresponsible, alcoholic and addicted to cockfights. He squandered in no time all the money earned by his girlfriend. And when she didn't agree to give him some, he dug directly into the cash register, 
Like all Mexican men of that time, he did not tolerate any resistance from Maria del Carmen and hit her violently when she contradicted him or prevented him from drinking. Burdened with debts that she was unable to repay, Carmen abandoned the canteen, left Jesus Vargas, and returned once again to her mother and sisters. With the leftover money from her first business, she opened a drink stand in front of her house and took care of watering the neighborhood for a few coins. Her return to Jalisco coincided with the death of her father, Isidro, who had died under dubious circumstances. However, he left his daughters a small inheritance. This inheritance came at the right time, and although they were strictly mourning their father, the four sisters were jubilant at the idea of what they would be able to do with this money. Delfina, the second of the sisters, and certainly the most resourceful, thought of making this capital profitable. To do this, she set her sights on small, unpretentious room that she transformed into a canteen in El Salto Juana Ketlin. In this little bistro, which didn't look too appealing, Delfina offered beer and tequila, a homestyle cuisine, and even installed a pool table. The little place was starting to make a name for itself in the area, because the drinks were flowing freely. Betting was tolerated, and the tamale and fajitas of the Senorita Delfina were the best in the whole region. The bistro was doing well, even if sometimes violent fights did break out when the men got a little tipsy. All the same, they must have been bored. There was something missing in this place that was beginning to build its own reputation. Girls, of course. With the new arrivals, Delfina started to offer an additional service. The renting of rooms for unmarried couples wishing to having sexual relations in total discretion, a practice strictly forbidden by law. She did not hesitate to bribe and corrupt the police officers so that they turned a blind eye to these practices, going so as far as to offer them the service of her ladies on a free and exceptional basis. As the business began to grow, Delfina hired her sister Carmen to handle the accounts. Carmen convinced her to legalize the business. The Mexican government was notorious for its lengthy delays, so they turned to their police friends to obtain their property permit. One of the police officers, Captain Hermana Gilda Zuniga Maldonado, became Delfina's lover and protector. Thanks to him, she could now sleep in peace and work legally without the fear of being arrested for violating mortality. From then on, the modest tavern became a real brothel with a flashy glittering sign of Guadalajara by night, the most famous in the whole region of El Salto de Guanacatlan. As for the recruits, Delfina spotted them in the markets, promised to hire them as maids, by presenting herself as an intermediary to the big houses looking for maids and cooks. The girls, most of whom were young and inexperienced, quickly took the hook, and only when they arrived at Guadalajara by night did they understand what their work really was. For Delfina, the younger the girls were, the better her chances of getting the most out of them. For this reason, she did not hesitate to hire them, even when they were only 13 or 14 years old. Some parents, too poor, gave away their children to her for a few pesos. In a few years, Delfina and Maria del Carmen, in association with the corrupt and crooked policemen and municipal employees, who were also customers of the brothel, managed to create a vast network of prostitution, which was skillfully orchestrated. However, the establishment was forced to close its doors when a terrible fight broke out between drunken customers one night, a fight that ended in a gunfight and left several injured. Despite the support of Captain Hermene Gildo, Zuniga Maldonado, Delfina's lover, the local authorities decided to close the Guadalajara by night and asked its owner to vacate the place as soon as possible. 
Delfina and Carmen, loaded with two suitcases full of money and a whole herm of girls, moved to Guanajuato, more precisely to San Francisco del Rincon. There they met a cross-dresser El Pocianchi, dancer and owner of a very popular bar, La Barca de Oro. But the establishment, which had earlier seen better days, now only attracted a seedy clientele, and El Pocianchi had more than once been arrested by the police because of his homosexuality. They offered to buy his business from him, which he gladly accepted. Now settled in their new quarters, Delfina and Carmen brought in their other two younger sisters, Maria Luisa and Maria de Jesus, one of whom will be in charge of the kitchen and the other of the cash register, while they themselves would be in charge of recruitment. The criminal activity of the Gonzales Venezuela sisters, who became known as the Pacbianches, began in 1955, driven by an insatiable thirst for money and profit. Carmen, although she was the eldest, willingly gave way to Delfina, who was known to be cruel and formidable in business, without scruples and above all without taboos. In order to not be noticed too much, they hired men to lead and offer young girls some work. These henchmen, most of them ex-convicts, also doubled up as bouncers at the bar and as pimps. Francesco Camarano Garcia was the first to be hired as a driver and courier, and his cousin, Enrique Rodriguez Ramirez, soon joined him as his assistant. Together, they recruited the girls in the neighboring villages, convincing their parents that they would work in respectable houses that would not lack anything and that they would soon earn enough to help their families financially. Once recruited, the girls were made to gather in the courtyard of the house and washed with cold water. Then Delfina and Maria Luisa would make their physical inspection, examine if they were any carriers of contagious or venereal diseases, if they had any lice or any other skin infections. That same evening, they were delivered to the first client. Condemned to stay indoors all day, the girls were only allowed a half an hour's walk in the patio of the Barca de Oro, closely supervised by the two cousins. To tighten the noose even further, Delfina sold them beauty products, clothes, jewelry, cigarettes, and food, which she added as credit in their personal accounts, so that the girls were always in debt and were not able to leave the premises without paying back their purchases in full. For these unfortunate girls, who thought they were coming to work as babysitters or maids, the nightmare had just begun. Moreover, Delfina no longer relied on promise of employment ploy to hire her future victims. Soon she realized her men resort to kidnapping. To do this, she sent Francesco and Enrique to ride all over the region on horseback in search of little peasant girls. The oldest of them was no more than 14 years old. The entry of a new accomplice. A small-time thief named Jose Santos completed the band of henchmen. Delfina put him in charge of the housework, cleaning the henhouse, feeding the dogs and taking care of the horses before raising him to the rank of a torturer of the rebellious girls who thought they were clever enough to escape. The prisoners of Pacianches were allowed only three corn tortillas and a ration of beans per day. During the day, they were given a few hours respite before getting ready for work, which began at nightfall when the first clients started to show up. Many of them became pregnant and the cruelest fate was reserved for them. An absolutely appalling, unhygienic abortion without anesthesia carried out by an old woman from the village, whose silence was bought with pesos and bottles of tequila. For those whose pregnancies did not appear until late, they were forced to give birth under the same conditions and had their babies taken away from them. Thrown alive into a small pit behind the bars, where they would end up dying after a few hours. With the prosperity of their business and the protection of the Guanajuato police, 
nothing could stop the corrupt and cruel sisters from resorting to violence that increased with each day. They sanctioned a new rule. When a prostitute reaches the age of 25, she was considered too old, so she was imprisoned, deprived of food, and left to slowly die in a dungeon. At that time, Jose Santos, in charge of dirty work of the brothel siblings, would dig a pit behind the house and discreetly bury the unfortunate women at nightfall. The prettiest prostitutes who brought in maximum number of clients were elevated to the rank of favorites and enjoyed a few perks, like accepting gifts from their clients, eating their fill, and allowing themselves a few moments of freedom. Others, who were less attractive, found other strategies to attract favor from their horrible bosses. In exchange for their lives, they agreed to become jailers and torturers to punish the girls who found the strength to rebel. Two of them, Guadalupe Marina Quiroz, Adela Martinez, ex-favorites who had fallen from grace, became terrible matrons and did not hesitate to inflict punishments that consisted of burning their girls, pulling their hair, and kicking them. In the early 1960s, Delfina sold Barca de Oro in the face of competition from other similar establishments that began to overshadow it. Together with her sister, she moved the business and all its residents to a ranch set away from the town of San Francisco, Del Rinco. This ranch named Loma del Angel, located in the middle of the desert, far away from houses, was the perfect place for continuation of their business. Here, the degree of cruelty of the Pacuanches took on a completely different level. The abuse taught it again in the most sordid way. But in 1963, the rhythm changed abruptly for a good reason. A new government was established in the region of Guanajuato, sweeping away all the prosecutors of Pacuanches. An operation of cleaning aiming to restore the glory of the new governor, who wished to put an end to such illicit activities, was initiated. A complete hunt against brothels and their owners was initiated. Raised in suspicion, convinced that they had been cursed, the Pacquianches began to engage in spiritual, combining religious practices and occult Indian beliefs, to ward off bad luck. When this was not enough, they went to the next level, satanic rituals accompanied by human sacrifices. The newcomers witnessed these black magic practices before being forced to participate themselves under penalty of being executed. During the initial ritual, the Pacquianches burnt whales and pieces of cloth to form a five-point star and invite the girls to dance on it. Generally, at the end of these strange festivities, a black chicken was always sacrificed and given as an offering to the occult gods of the Maya tradition. After that, anything could be allowed. The four sisters gave the freedom to their henchmen to choose a girl of their choice in order to indulge in all kinds of torturous and sexual aggressions. In order to safeguard their spotless reputation and to put rest to the suspicion of the authorities who were becoming a little too demanding, the four sisters went to the village church daily, made offerings to the poor and attended all the masses. They were continually wailed and dressed in black, as is the Mexican Catholic tradition, and to the locals... They were just poor women who had come to seek refuge and survive in these unstable and difficult times for all. However, no one knew what was going on behind high walls of La Lomas del Angel. In 1964, a tragedy shook the four sisters. Luis Maria del Carmen's only son was murdered in a bar in Jalisco during a fight. For his mother, it was a real stab in the heart. Seeking revenge, sent her men Francesco Camarena and Enrique Rodriguez to look for his killers. They went around the taverns of Guanajuato for days before finally returning empty-handed. At the Loma del Angel, 
things also began to deteriorate. The killing spree of the Gonzalez sisters, exacerbated by this latest tragedy, had no limits. In the ranch, it was a real penitentiary system that was set up. Women and children were crammed into dungeons and abandoned in appalling living conditions. One of the jailers, Adela Martinez, even became the executioner in charge of killing the rebels and in the process, she even murdered her own sister, Ernestina, who was held against her will with the others for having made an attempt to run away. The Pacuanches even witnessed this murder in person, forcing all the residents to watch the entire scene to understand who they were dealing with, if at all they felt like escaping any time. Terrorized, cut off from the world, starved, humiliated, tortured, suffering from various illnesses and infections, the thirsty or so women and girls who now formed the harem of the Pacuanches no longer slept at night. Many of them died from their illnesses or succumbed to madness. The prisons were closely guarded and different henchmen took turns night and day. The Pacuanches kept only those who could generate the maximum profit. However, the shadow of a terrible outcome was already beginning to hang over this criminal organization. That morning of January 14, 1964, could have been like any other at the Loma del Angel, when a cry rang out from the yard. They're gone! They have fled! In the patio of the ranch, the agitation was at its peak. Three of the residents, Catalina Ortega and two sisters, Maria and Soledad del Pilar, had just disappeared. Delfina sent men after them in the surroundings. It was a state of alert. The order was given to lock up all the exits and to lock up everyone. Francesco Camarena, Jose Santos, Enrique Rodriguez returned only at nightfall without anything. The girls had indeed escaped. At the announcement of this news, Delfina fell into a state of trance, insulted the three men, beat them, threatened them to throw them in prison and have them killed. It is necessary to leave the place quickly ordered Maria Luisa. It was only their option indeed. In a fraction of a second, boxes, drawers, safes, pillowcases, under mattresses were completely emptied and their contents hidden in blouses, scarves and stockings. The Pacuanches did not keep their money in one place, obsessed with the idea of it being stolen by their employees. As they were packing up the last of their suitcase, they heard a loud banging on the gate. Francesco Camarena arrived and blurted, They're here. What should we do? It was Maria del Carmen who chose to go with the police, preparing from the start the lies she will tell them. Passing easily for a poor grandmother and to feign surprise, she took out her handkerchief and her rosary, which she wrapped around her wrist and began to mutter prayers. What she didn't know yet was that outside, her fate and that of her sisters was already sealed. In a spectacular arrest, the Gonzalez Venezuela sisters and their accomplices were taken to the state prison in Guanajuato the same day. During the investigation that followed, the ranch of La Loma's the Angel, the site so many horrors, was completely searched and sealed for further investigation. In a vacant plot located not far from the Pacuanches' property, the police came across a small improvised cemetery containing human remains, including several skeletons of babies. The police also searched about 20 teenage girls and young women who were found in an appalling state most of them suffering from tuberculosis, skin infections, and venereal diseases. Some had already lost their minds. They were rushed to the hospital while waiting to be traced back to their respective families. During their interrogation, the Gonzalez Venezuela sisters presented themselves to the investigators as very pious Catholics, victims of abuse and cruelty, bereaved following the death of their nephew. 
and on whom fate had been unleashed since their birth. They categorically denied all the facts they were accused of. Unfortunately for them, their former employees quickly confessed and denounced all the crimes that took place both in the Barca de Oro and the more recent ones in the Loma del Angel. Betrayed by their accomplices, caught in a trap, the four criminals justified their crimes by proclaiming themselves as defenders of mortality and virtue, even going so far as to justify the infanticides as an act of faith, because according to them, a bastard will never have a place in heaven with the angels and saints. During their trial, which was broadcast on national radio stations and was followed by the whole country, the frightening stories told by the survivors and former prisoners of the Pacquianches completed the darkness of the whole episode. In particular was a case of prostitutes' meat sold at the markets to make tamale at three pesos per kilo. However, this revelation was not taken into consideration by the justice system and was left out as more of an urban legend than a reality in the collective memory. For its part, the weekly newspaper, Alarma Unicum et La Verdad, took on the task of covering the whole affair. Its editors attended all the hearings and provided new information on the progress of the trial every week. The column of January 20, 1964 was titled, The Pacquianches, Ruthless Tormentors. Following the publication of different successive issues about the case, the magazine gained an unprecedented popularity, going from 10,000 prints to 500,000 copies, and was sold throughout Mexico. Soon, its fame travels beyond the borders to encompass all of Latin America, and followed by millions of readers, eager for macabre and unusual stories. Narrowly escaping the death penalty, the Pacquianches were sentenced to 40 years of criminal imprisonment for various crimes, criminal organization, illegal possession of firearms, prostitution networks, an illegal practice of medicine, torture, kidnapping, slavery, infanticide, and black magic. There were almost 150 murders committed under their order, 91 of which were recognized. Their accomplices, Francesco Camarena Garcia, Jose Santos, Enrique Rodriguez, as well as Guadalupe Morena Cuaros and Adela Martinez, were sentenced to 20 years of criminal imprisonment. The other individuals who worked in the prostitution network, including abortionists, pimps, midwives and informants, were arrested and sentenced to various prison terms, ranging from 5 to 15 years. Three of the Pacquianches' sisters died while in prison. Maria del Carmen in 1965, as a result of poorly treated hepatitis, followed by Delfina in 1968, presumably attacked by a fellow inmate, and Maria Luisa in 1984, as a result of liver cancer. Only Maria de Jesus died after her release. She was granted a reprieve in the early 1990s due to her advanced age and failing mental health. The story of the Pacquianches, their arrest, and the scandal that ensued after the discovery of the bodies of babies and starving prisoners caused great excitement in Mexico. In 1976, dictator Felipe Casals dedicated an eponymous film to them, tracing their journey as brothel keepers and shameless criminals. In 2018, Lucero Hernandez, a young documentary filmmaker from Guanajuato, produced a report on one of the last survivors of the Pacquianches jails, a grandmother named Anita. The documentary dedicated to her, Anita El Documental. The old woman recounts with great emotions and without any restraint. The terrible years spent behind the walls of the ranch La Lorma del Angel, before finally being reunited with her mother in 1965. Mexico still remembers the terrible criminal saga of the Pacuanches, considered till this day as the most dangerous women the country has ever known.
Under international pressure, the Mexican government finally passed a human trafficking law in 2003, three years after its declaration at the UN in 2000. Today, the condition of Mexican women is clearly improving, but they continue to struggle and make a real place for themselves in a society that is still very conservative. We're at the end of our show for today, so feel free to listen to the other shows on the podcast and take five seconds to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. It's really important to us. You can also subscribe to the next episodes and follow us on Facebook to suggest new ones. Thank you and see you soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 